This is the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Hurley. Independent news commentary with a California perspective. Season 7, Episode 10. The California recall petition garners over 2 million signatures. An interview with Professor David McEwen. March 17th was the deadline for the recall organizers who are trying to oust California Governor Gavin Newsom to submit its petitions for a recall election. They needed 1,495,000 valid valid voter signatures, but actually submitted 2,117,000. An outside independent consultant validated the signatures at an 83% rate. If that 83% validation rate holds up, now that California's 58 county clerks are scrutinizing the petitions, that translates into 1,757,000 valid signatures, or 250,000 more than are needed to qualify the measure for the ballot. The 58 counties have until April 29th to complete their verification. But assuming their verification reflects the 83% validation rate, California will be heading into its second recall election of a governor in 18 years, and only the fourth time in U.S. history that a state governor is forced to face voters in the middle of his term. So how does a recall election work? Not all 50 states permit recalls. Only 19 states and the District of Columbia permit voters to curtail a term of office. And what are the specific reasons for removing Gavin Newsom from office a little over two years into his four-year term? Is it all a right-wing plot to eject a progressive governor as Newsom's supporters charge? Or are there other deeper reasons that are fueling the recall fervor? With us today to explain the mechanics of a statewide recall election is Professor David McEwen, Chair of Political Science at Sonoma State University. Dr. McEwen specializes in state and local elections and the study of terrorism. His teaching responsibilities include courses in national and international politics, international security and terrorism, state and local political campaigns, and elections as well as political behavior. Dr. McEwen was a Fulbright teaching scholar in 2009-2010 at Masaryk University, Prague, the Czech Republic. He completed his undergraduate studies at UC Berkeley and was granted a doctorate at UC Riverside in 2002. David joins us today from his home in Sonoma, the town of Sonoma, California, which is California wine country. Hi, David, and welcome to the show. Hello, it's a pleasure to be joining you, and uh, I'm really thrilled to be talking with you today about this really fantastic development in terms of how it's going to just fill the political oxygen that's going on in the world. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And tell me, David, before we launch into a discussion of the recall, Tell our listeners how you first became interested in politics and political science. 
Sure. So uh, I went to school in the East Bay uh, to an all-boys parochial school in Richmond, uh, Salesian High School. And we had a teacher there who had a Ph.D. who was very passionate about teaching about government, economics, history. And he really sparked an interest uh, in that for me and, and an interest really in political science, kind of the science of politics. I also have worked while I've been in school and out of school in politics on both sides of the aisle in Sacramento, Washington, D.C., and throughout California. And so that really has sparked an interest. I, I've tried to be an academic who is someone who keeps an eye on the real world of politics, that unusual relationship between, say, those who practice politics and those who think about politics and teach about it. So that's that's been how my career has developed. And certainly recall politics and initiative politics California politics kind of fold in and, and really develop that kind of sense of, of how to study political life. Actually, that's fascinating, David. You're you're bringing a, a real practical, hands-on political practitioner's experience of the subject matter to your students and, of course, uh, as part of your studies. So at this point, why don't we get on with uh, the recall and tell us about it? And of course, this is your second recall that you're that you'll be working on and covering. <laughs> sure. sure. So uh, I, I spend a lot of time not just uh, thinking about politics and working with our students, but I spend a lot of time working with journalists. So one of the key things that I have done in my career is work with journalists as they cover politics and this particular story, say the recall. So one thing that I've tried to do is work with political reporters, editors, uh, and those that may be covering California politics or even national politics to explain to them how the recall of Gavin Newsom, its qualification, that story is going to become the political story of 2021. Political reporters tend to come and go. It, it's not like it used to be. We're used to track politicians over their lifetime. And, and so many political reporters and journalists cannot tell their editors they don't know anything about what's going on. So they need someone to talk to. And this isn't always for attribution, often on background or off the record. And I work with anywhere from 20 to 30 political reporters across the world a day, seven days a week, talking about story ideas and what's going on. And that's, that's across all mediums. So it's not just prints or podcasts or on the web. It's television. It's, it's traditional media and newer outlets as well. And, and I've been doing this for some time. And that's because when I started looking at California, I needed something that was novel in terms of what I did. And, and California's initiative politics, and certainly the recall of Gray Davis in 2003, provided an opportunity to do that. But this particular recall is different in a lot of ways. For one thing, you have a governor who was elected, who was elected by a wide margin, right? So, so when Gavin Newsom is elected governor in 2018, he's elected by over 60%. It's 62-38, which was the highest margin since 1950. That is an incredible development. Now, certainly his popularity has waned. His approval has come down as COVID has rolled out. All of that is correct. But he is still pretty popular in a place that's been a difficult, if not historic, set of circumstances for him. You also have California is a much more democratic state than it's ever been. You have uh, a, a, about, uh, you, you know, a, a 46 percent, almost half of all voters in the state are blue. They're Democratic voters. Now, now California Democrats are different in different places. Uh, and that, that's an important element of the recall here as well, because the progressive left has some role in this recall because 
they're not exactly comfortable with this this governor. They're worried about him, and he's worried about his left flank more than anything else. In addition, if you look at what has happened to Republicans in this state, they've become virtually a third party. They don't have statewide officers. They really can't move forward without protest politics. Uh, and, and, and symbolic politics of protest is huge. Certainly that's not a development of the Trump era, but it is a component to the Trump era politics. And when Arnold Schwarzenegger announces he's going to run, it, it really did free up or change the race in 2003. A celebrity entering this race could do the same thing. But you still have an important element where the Democratic vote and the no-party preference voters, those voters that are uh, uh, independent and, and signed recall petitions, but maybe voted for Gavin Newsom back in 2018, they're going to be an important component of this campaign. And you have, right, this popular governor who was uh, who's not Gray Davis. Gray Davis had made many of the steps headed to 2003. He was not a very popular guy by any measure in uh, terms of polling. You had that celebrity candidacy of Arnold Schwarzenegger. And you also have a, a Democratic governor this time out who can weigh down potential rivals. And that's an interesting kind of backstory or side note here, the degree to which the Newsom administration, the Newsom candidacy for a recall, the degree to which the governor and his team can weigh on any other Democrat from entering the race, and they won't be able to do that. So, so I, as your listeners kind of go through and think about this and, and lessen that of here, there are two things really to remind themselves of. One is, if a celebrity enters the race, all bets are off, and, and recall politics provide a wild card opportunity for that. The other component to that is Democrats need a safety plan. They, they, they need, they need a, a safety net, and that means there's going to be a Democrat who's going to have to be on the ballot who maybe doesn't want to run in, in a big way, but will be there because otherwise it would be political malpractice for Democrats not to have someone on the ballot. And that's going to clash with the plan that the Newsom administration has for dealing with this recall. So those, all of those points kind of fold into what is likely to be the most important political story of 2021. And, and Gavin Newsom is also different. He's a guy who is upwardly mobile, a guy who has national ambitions, what happens in California spills over to other states. And, and really, we wouldn't be having a recall if, if the recall proponents didn't get an extension of several months by a, a Sacramento judge. So in some ways, it is novel and a novelty. But at the same time, this is also a case of, of celebrity politics and California's outsized role in the nation clashing with a Democratic Party that's now in charge in the White House with Californians there and a Republican Party that's looking for what comes next for, with Donald Trump. All of that comes to a head with a fall election for a recall in California. Now, let's play devil's advocate here. Um, you mentioned that uh, this wouldn't even be, we wouldn't be having this conversation were it not for the fact that the recall organizers got an extension. Why didn't the Newsom forces jump in at that point, argue strenuously to the judge that they uh, that there should be no extension, or, or if there was an extension, perhaps a 60- or 90-day extension. That's number one. And then number two, the 800-pound gorilla, or the whatever the animal is in the room, is, of course, that that dreadful dinner at, uh, at the French Laundry. Uh, the, the reason that I'm bringing both of them up, David, is that those two examples, the fact that they were dismissive of this effort to get the extension from the judge, number one, political malpractice, 
the dinner at the French Laundry, number two political malpractice, is that, uh, are there other examples of political malpractice that you think may come back to bite the governor during this campaign? Because once he's on the ballot for recall, it's just an up or down vote on him. And of course, his opponents are going to be out there banging the drums on the mistakes that he's made, and it's going to be very difficult for him to respond because he, these charges are going to be coming at him left, right, center, up, down, from all over the place, as opposed to coming from one opponent. Yeah, there's a lot in there. There's a couple of things I'd like to add as well. One is that whoever is on the ballot on the second question, the candidates there, we had 135 on in 2003 we will have more than that this time we could see a thousand candidates oh my god those because of social media so yes. those candidates are limited in terms of what they can spend but the governor is unlimited in terms of what he can spend to defend himself and the proponents of the recall the yes and no question are also unlimited so that means there'll be a hundred million dollars that are spent but 70, 80, 90 million of that is probably more likely to be Governor Newsom and his recall opponents than anything else. That assumes that Elon Musk doesn't get in. That assumes, right, that Tom Hanks doesn't run. The celebrity factor, or Will Smith doesn't enter the race. Then all bets are off. But if you look at the recall proponents and what they put forward, they basically have put everything that is wrong with California and wrong with heaven and earth at the feet of this government, right? The electrical problems, wildfires, basically everything has been laid at the feet of this governor to get people to sign. But internally, if you look at what the Newsom administration has done, they have made some early missteps in terms of handling the recall similarly to what Gray Davis and his team did. Davis and his team, with a poor polling performance, not very popular, and a not great relationship with the legislature. As, as some of your listeners may recall, Gray Davis infamously said that it was, the, it was the job of the legislature to implement my, meaning mine as governor, my vision, not anything else. He didn't want to work with that other branch. And Gavin Newsom and his team have changed their approach to the legislature. Part of this happened with changes in staffing, with bringing in people like uh, the executive secretary, Jim DeBoo, who's a longtime uh, presence in the legislature, but also trying to get closer to what's happening with Tony Atkins and with Anthony Rendon and uh, the, the, the pro tem and the speaker of the assembly. Now, what that means is the Newsom administration realizes that they had to make up some ground. But one of the areas they didn't do anything about was pushing back with the Sacramento Arnold Schwarzenegger appointed judge on mm -hmm. what would happen with this extension of the recall proponent signatures. So that judge gave them an additional 120 days. Yes. And one of the big things uh, that happens in California is you already get 160 days, which is uh, in stark contrast to what you see, for example, in Wisconsin, which, which requires 25% of signatures from the last gubernatorial election to be handled in 60 days. So the mechanics here are somewhat interesting in that we've only had 55 attempts to recall the governor, uh, but I think seven of those, six, seven or eight of those, have been against Gavin Newsom alone. So there is this kind of protest mechanism where Republicans are out in the political wilderness and see an opportunity to go forward against Newsom and to put everything that is wrong under the sun and lay it at his feet. This also gives you an opportunity to introduce Donald Trump into the race. That works both for Democrats and against them. 
because it could help Republicans. It has some interesting undercurrents to what's happened in terms of how the California Republican Party operates. And, and there's also an element here where, while the Newsom administration did not go after the judge to uh, shorten the time frame, which would have uh, allowed this to kind of change in, in terms of whether it qualifies for the ballot or what that would look like, there's also been a lack of recognition or a slow to recognize two distinct approaches that they have. One thing that the Newsom administration has done every day with those daily pressers, which were supposed to stop last April, then last May, then last June, is that the daily press conferences that roll out where the governor lays out a, a vision of what's happening across California starts to get into the weeds and start, uh, starts to cite lots of facts and figures, loses the broader policy picture of what's happening, like, for example, on vaccine rollouts or what's happening on homelessness or housing, very difficult dish issues for San Francisco, but for all of California, health care, a variety of things. So, so in other words, the policy wing and the political wing of the shop are not always on the same page. Mm -hmm. And that presents a dilemma for counties, for cities. People don't know what's going on. And we're starting to see that now. We're really effective counties that have responded to COVID, like County of Santa Clara, like some other counties in California, their health care officers and their, their PHOs, their public health officers, and their county officials are pushing back and telling the Newsom administration, no, they're not going to do X, Y, Z. So, so the optics of the politics and the approach of the policy have not always lined up. That's presented some problems while the recall has been going on in the background. All of that portends problems for coordination. So that means you've got to get kids back in school. You've got to get vaccines out there and a return to normalcy. In that sense, time works on his side. You also have that Democratic state. He's still relatively popular, and he can spend a boatload of money to nationalize the race, which means Kamala Harris, vice, the vice president, and perhaps even Joe Biden will come here, even though we might see, obviously, Kevin McCarthy raising money, but also potentially Donald Trump as well. Mm -hmm. Now, let's come back to the schools, because as, as you know better than I, the California Teachers Association, which is the largest teachers union in California, has been one of the largest and most generous to Gavin Newsom in terms of uh, political contributions. And they have been, they and the other teachers unions in California, uh, certainly here in San Francisco, have been adamant about yeah. not reopening the schools. And that is, and even though the governor signed into law a two billion dollar incentive to the schools to reopen it did it wasn't mandatory it wasn't it wasn't the schools were not required to open um that could that be his achilles heel and that's yeah number, and that's number one and then number two for instance the uh sacramento's legislative analysis uh, analyst the lao cited uh in the budget message cited two areas, namely wildfires and homelessness, where they specifically criticized the governor's office for lack of a strategic plan, A, on wildfires, and B, on homelessness. So I'm wondering whether the opponents, they've got a couple of, they've got a couple of very strong issues against the governor. Number one, the schools are still closed and largely because the unions won't let them reopen. And then those two measures, then both uh, the wildfires and homelessness, which the LAO has cited. What do you think about that, David? Yeah, I, I think that, that those are really spot on observations and, and, and questions because returning kids to school 
would provide normalcy that the governor and his team would want to roll out early and often and would give folks who were at home a sense of that normalcy as well. So that's critical to their approach. It's critical to their to their uh, kind of strategy here on the recall. The other component here, though, is it does give us some insight in terms of how Gavin Newsom has an uncomfortable relationship with labor, even though he's considered uh, a friend of labor. And what I mean by that is to kind of go back, Jerry Brown had labor people in his in his administration uh, inside the shoe and very close to him. But 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 Jerry doesn't like to spend money, so that was always <laughs> difficult. And, and he was always you know uh, in in a place where he had an uncomfortable, pushy relationship with labor. But Gavin Newsom, despite what we see on the outside, has the same difficulty. Uh, not all nurses are represented by the CNA, and the single-payer issue of health care is very problematic for this administration, uh, because partly because Gavin's political style, the governor's political style, is not one to say no to folks. And he's worried about that progressive kind of Bernie Sanders uprising on the left. At the same time, labor has changed how it handles it, uh, Democrats and Democratic politicians. Labor is much better at blocking things today than it is at passing things. And that means when CTA is trying to slow go what is happening, even though they are with the governor in terms of campaign contributions and backing him, they have an uncomfortable backroom relationship with what that looks like. So does SEIU, so do other elements of the unions, even though he has people inside his administration that are very friendly to labor. The same thing in terms of the optics of the uh, the California Medical Association and the French Laundry Dinner and who's there and who's in the room. So this governor has been much more transactional than he has been in terms of developing deep allies that can carry him through to the recall. There are other elements of this uh, in terms of their actual execution of policy, whether we look at dealing with the sticky problem of homelessness. You know, Care Not Cash was a very controversial program. Yes. In San Francisco, yes. when he was mayor, it was absolutely controversial. And, and, and Newsom was, was vilified for that program because he wasn't seen as a progressive or as a true believer liberal. That has given pause to those on the progressive left. They'll be an important component of the recall. And then you have the problem of the wildfires, which seem to be persisting, uh, growing and in areas throughout the state. And it is the execution of plans. It is the policy and the follow through that have always been difficult set of circumstances for this governor. If you look at same-sex marriage, if you look at what he's written about uh, guns, if you look at uh, initiatives that he's written about cannabis, the execution and the implementation of the actual policies falls flat. It's all sizzle, no stake. Right. And that is what his, that is what his, his recall proponents will, will, will move forward on. He doesn't have a threat. And the current lineup of Republicans just there. There's a, John Cox is not going to beat him. Uh, he, 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 he nailed John Cox to the wall, 62-38 in 2018. He can beat John Cox. It's not going to be Kevin Falconer going for those middle-of-the-road, no-party preference voters. It could be someone like Rick Grinnell if Trump came in, but nobody knows who Rick Grinnell is. Mm-hmm. So, so the current lineup of Republicans, it, 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 it leads to a, an aloofness an approach by the administration where they push on people and they don't build partnerships. That is evident in how they've dealt with COVID. It's evident in all the issues you just provided for. And it, it, 
it should get better, and people have been hoping that it would get better, and it hasn't been getting better. And so that's given people pause behind the scenes, even on the Democratic side, about getting the governor's ear and getting him to execute better, as opposed to just promising more. Now, of course, we live in California. Hollywood is uh, is part of our DNA. When you're a California <laughs> citizen, you can't get away from it. Uh, and I know the rest of the country or the rest of the world uh, thinks we're very flaky for uh, for having such reverence for Hollywood and Hollywood celebrities. But we do live in California. We have the president of Arnold Schwarzenegger jumping in at the last minute uh, 18 years ago. What does your... What does your crystal ball tell you in terms of a potential celebrity? Because don't forget, that potential celebrity could could win with a, a simple plurality of 25, 30%. And if Gavin comes in below the 50% plus one, the, the winner with the plurality in that second ballot for governor, which Gavin can't run himself, right? becomes governor. I mean, you you mentioned Tom Hanks, Will Smith, Elon Musk, George Clooney. I mean, 2018. Tom Steyer. Tom Steyer. Well, you see, he's I mean, he's a I mean, he's a political celebrity, but in terms of a Holly, a true Hollywood celebrity, are there any stirrings out there? Uh, is there anything on the grapevine uh, that you've uh, that, that you've heard of uh, celebrities who might throw their hat in the ring? So uh, all the celebrities that you mentioned have been have been speculated, but but don't look to be there in, in terms of a commitment to running the state. Because remember, it's a difficult state. There's 40 million people here. It's you know fifth or sixth largest economy in the world. It's a nation. It's not really a state. So if there is a celebrity out there, they may not necessarily be a Hollywood type, but they could be a Silicon Valley person. They could be somebody from the business world who sees themselves as someone who's able to put a check on the undue influences that go on from their standpoint, the undue influences and interests that go on and, and demand action in Sacramento. So there are billionaires and zillionaires out there who think they can come and do a different, a, a better job. And, and not all of those people even currently reside in California. And that is we can look to people in Washington, D.C. who are transplants. But then we're going to see some retreads. This is this is the speculation currently about Antonio Villaraigosa coming back yeah. or some type of challenger that Democrats have out there who could get some portion of the vote but wouldn't necessarily be a competitor, if you will, to, to Gavin Newsom per se. That is, they are somebody who would do better than Cruz Bustamante, but not necessarily by very much uh, in that sense. And, and But the wild card here is that celebrity. It, it is that Elon Musk type person. It is Tom Steyer to the left. Now, and it's not that Tom Steyer would do this. He's very close to the Newsom administration. They communicate uh, daily in terms of their teams talking to each other. But it's the potential to upset the race with someone with resources. However, I, I think we, what, we, what we can't forget is if he wins on the question, Yes or no. If yes, if no prevails, okay, if he prevails on the recall question and throws it back, he is basically reelected one year before he goes up for reelection. Right. So in that sense, I mean, people have been writing about this, but it did take them a little while to realize, I would say, that this has the potential to backfire, and all of a sudden he has the wind at his back. If you're if you've been frustrated by what the Newsom administration has done. 
and you're on their side, and you have an emboldened Gavin Newsom who's beaten back a recall, uh, an emboldened administration that doesn't have to listen to you anymore, and they didn't listen to you the last two years, that potentially could be a problem within the caucus or on their side, kind of downstream, if you will, while you have a guy who has uh, the political wind at his back a year before he has to run. And in that sense, that could be a real nightmare for the Republicans because it could boost him nationally when they want to really, you know, have him be the bookend to Andrew Cuomo leaving the governor's office in New York, which would be quite a, a fait accompli now for Republicans nationally. Let's come back to the 2024 presidential race. Let's assume that Gavin Newsom survives this recall in 2021. He's a shoe in He's going to win re-election in 2022. So... Joe Biden has said he's going to be a one-term president, uh, that he's going to be a transitional president. And of course, we have uh, Kamala Harris, another San Franciscan who, uh, who's vice president now waiting in the wings in the hope that uh, 2024, she'll be anointed and become the Democratic nominee. Do you think, I suppose, that Gavin Newsom having survived a California recall in 2021 would elevate him to a kind of an unbeatable, unique kind of status, or could it could it be uh, could it could it also be a very negative thing for him, given his presidential ambitions for twenty twenty four? Yeah, I think uh, that, that, that's Kamala Harris as the vice president would be the de facto front runner for Democrats. No problem, no questions asked. But I think what this points to is kind of behind the veil of the generational change that Democrats face. We started that kind of in the previous segment. Labor is changing its role in American politics and its fixture in the Democratic base. There's also a generational change going on. Speaker Pelosi, Senator Feinstein are closer to being at the end of their political careers than not. So that means that someone with an executive mentality, and certainly Gavin Newsom has an executive mentality who also sees himself as a bright, shining star. Everyone in the U.S. Senate sees themselves as a bright, shining star and potentially a president of the United States. So so I think that there is a place for him to go while the vice president moves up to the next level or runs for that level. She could run, be unsuccessful. Trump could come back, whatever that looks like. So I see the Newsom political future as really in a holding pattern and even if they lost in the recall, they're not necessarily done because he's young. They'd have to go away. For, so yeah, I don't, I don't, I mean, people would, would cook that goose so fast, but, but he's only what, 53. Yes. He has some time to do things. So, so while they're playing on a tightrope, if he beats this back, he is in the national conversation for 2024, but there will be such allegiance to Kamala that that would be very difficult. Uh, for them uh, to, to, to get over. But they could go into the Senate. They could go into a national politically prominent role that puts them in a place headed farther past that into some period that puts them on the national stage, 26, 28, whatever that looks like. So I don't think he's out of the picture. He still has a bright political future. It may just not be the traditional political future, and look, let's also face it, uh, there's a midterm election between now and then, yes. his own re-election, assuming he, he uh, gets through the recall. And, of course, then there's the presidential election. So we are a lifetime away. I think one of the difficulties, there are two difficulties that they have. 
One is the perception that they're too transactional, that it's a pay-to-play thing, and that's going to get some more play in this recall. Secondly, they have a tendency to look past without building coalitions and growing those coalitions in fruitful and communicative ways. They need to be better about how they handled the pandemic, and it's not enough now to say that uh, we messed up, we haven't been as good, because now you're doing that for political gain under a re- conditions of a recall. So, so they have to get better, and that means they have to change their approach. And, I'm, and the only way, I think, to change that approach is for them to get religion, quote-unquote, as it were, about changing their views of how they exchange things in politics. And a recall does do that. It will get their attention. But they're also positioned with conditions and circumstances that Gray Davis never had in 2003. Now, David, as we uh, as we enter our last few minutes of the show, please share with our listeners what they should be looking for over the next few weeks, the next month or two, as the uh, as the mechanics of the recall unfold. Are there any critical dates in the next few weeks? Are there any critical events that need to happen for this to move forward? Yeah, there there are a few critical events and and how how things will unfold. One is that signatures are. Are, are verified along the way. So you don't need to verify this whole lot of signatures by that end of April date. That means sometime after April Fool's Day, after April 1st, probably around April 15th, ironically, the date just moves for tax day, but uh, around that time, between the middle of April to the end of April, we should have the schedule set whereby the election will be called in the next 180 days. That puts us in a time frame that is probably in October. If that is in October, that has traditionally been a very difficult month in California the last four or five years. We think about wildfires, and we think about drought conditions, and in some ways the timeliness of an October recall is not very good for the incumbent. November would work much better than October but it's likely that it would be called, given the 180-day by-law timeframe, it would likely be called sometime in that, in that October period, which could be a problem. After that, after the election is called, there are two other things to watch for. One is the legal proceedings, the wrangling about uh, invalidating signatures, or it, the, even though the court previously ruled Gray Davis could not be on that, that second uh, condition or the, the second question uh, in order to run, uh, the Newsom or Newsom allies may re- try to revisit that with new legal arguments. There'll be some legal jockeying, if you will, that will occur in the courts about the recall after the date has been set. The other component to this is about the first week of August, more or less, we would see the final tally, the final allocation of candidates. That's when we'll see, you know, more than 135 uh, and, and less than 1,000 or some astronomical amount of, of everyone under the sun who's going to move into the race. And that's where things could really get wild and sticky. Could we see somebody like a Daryl Issa, who funded previous recall effort, decide to enter the race? Tom McClintock's run for every race under the sun. Would he do it? Uh <laughs> Yeah, there there would be people. What what do we have? Minor B list celebrities. Uh, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, doesn't Prince Harry and Meghan Markle don't they live here now? Yes, of so course. All, she <laughs> might. She may run. Her Why royal, not? Her Royal <laughs> Highness. Yes, <laughs> that's right. So there's all kinds of elements to this that could lead to a wild card factor that would be important to pay attention to. And then I would say, lastly, expect the fundraising to be astronomical, and that introduces the wild card factor of Donald Trump. Does 
Does he come here to raise money? Does he come here to do more than raise money? Because Kevin McCarthy sees himself as the next speaker. And do Kevin McCarthy and Donald Trump begin to play in California in ways that we've never seen before? It's the wild, wild west. That's what recall politics are. And that's what the Newsom administration and the Newsom campaign to stop the recall will have to deal with. Well, David, you have certainly given us more than enough food for thought uh, with this, uh, with your thoughts in today's podcast. I want to thank our guest, Professor David McEwen, for joining us today on the California recall election and what we should be watching for as we go forward. And David, we look forward to having you back on the show in the next couple of months as the campaign begins to unfold. I would love to do that. It would be, it's a fun time and uh, you ask great questions and it's a very, it's a very thoughtful podcast. So I would be pleased to do that. Thank you very much, David. You, you will be on my speed dial. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and for our listeners, please take a moment to visit our website, www.thesanfranciscoexperiencepodcast.com and subscribe to the podcast. It's free to subscribe, and by doing so, it ensures that all future episodes go directly to your inbox. You can also listen to past episodes, send me an email, read my blog, or peruse my book. This has been the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Herlihy, reporting to you from America's favorite city, San Francisco.